Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. Today, if you could open up your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll be reading from there in God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, I got to say, it's a whole lot different being in here for worship than in kids' church for worship. I mean, the kids worship. Like, you see the kids raising their arms. They're crying. Like, it actually makes you just, you you know, your eyes water. You're like, kids, you're so cute. Uh, But here, you guys are seeking the presence of God in a really cool way. And it's cool. I got to get people. I got to stay back here more often during worship. Uh, If you guys are newer here or you haven't been here in a while, Um, Yeah, my name is Ben. I run the kids' church and run the youth ministry. Uh, Or I just sort of do what I do, but we got the teams that do everything, and it's because of you guys, your prayers, your, you know, everything. Uh, But there's been this move of God that's been happening here at New Hope in the last couple weeks, you know, a few months. That's just been really cool. And I think if you're newer here, uh, my family. Hey, guys. <laughs> Woohoo! In from out of town. Uh, if you're newer here, that's been, there's been this move, move of God that's just been really cool. And if you jump in the water, it's one thing if you jump in to still water. It's another thing if you jump into a tidal wave. Because if you're not expecting it, you might get swooped under and come out somewhere new. And if you're coming in this place for the first time in a long time, or maybe you missed the last few weeks, get ready if you're, not, if you're not aware, you might get swooped away into the presence of God and come up in places you didn't think you could be. And there's just been this move from God where God's been taking people from here to the next place. And I think some of us, we, you know, we, we started off way over here and God's been taking us through journeys and trials and, and God's been moving us through our lives. And we have testimonies and we're like, God, I got so far with you and God's still beyond going You've not even gotten started. And there's been this move. And Pastor Tom, if you've, if you've heard anything he's preaching recently, it's this pursuit of holy. And I like it. He's not even calling it holiness because we think we understand holiness. We don't understand. You know, God's constantly showing us more. And um, if you're anything like me, then, you know, the last couple weeks when everyone else was getting moved by the Spirit, you're probably sitting there going, ah, those other people need it, but I'm good. And, uh, you know, as every, you know, young pastor that reads the Bible and stuff a lot, I'm like, yeah, I know me and God are good. And, uh, and God swooped me away, too. I got this call a couple weeks ago from someone I really respect, and, uh, and they asked me, they were like, hey, what's going on? You know, what's wrong? I was like, hey, nothing's wrong with me. What's, what's wrong with you? And <laughs> they were like, hey, there's something happening at your church, and you're missing it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I went through this list. I was like, I, I love God. I love Jesus. I pray. Here's my prayer schedule. Here's my Bible reading schedule. I teach the kids on Sundays, the youth on Wednesdays. I'm like, I'm a man of God. And then they were like, you got to pursue holy. And I'm just getting, getting mad, <laughs> getting offended. I'm like, what do you mean pursue holy? How do you spell Ben May? H-O-L-Y. Like, I, I am holy. You know? And we went back and forth, and they were just saying, listen. You're, you're missing something. Pursue holy. So I, I let it sink in. I got off the phone. I told Kara, we were going out to lunch. I was like, babe, take the baby. You go out to lunch. I got to go pray. She was like, what are you, what are you going to eat? And I was like, obviously, the, I literally said this, obviously the daily bread because I need it. <laughs> you know, 
when, when God gets you, you just, you just get mad. And, and I only get mad if, if you don't know me, I'm always smiling. I'm never mad. I'm only mad when I either failed someone or I felt like I disappointed someone or when I feel like there's a change that needs to happen in me. Uh, so I had this, you know, mad prayer time with God that day and that evening and the next day. And it was just this big thing. And this mad time with God that turned into a vulnerable time with God that turned into a humble time with God where I was saying, God, yeah, you don't spell my name holy. I don't even know what holy is. And God started to go, it's about time you saw that. Because me, like a lot of, a lot of us, you know, who have been in the church for our whole lives, plus our parents' lives, you know, we, we're, we just breathe church. You know, we've gone from all the way over here and we say, God, I'm good where I'm at. And God's still one step away saying, but there's more come on. And uh, that's what's going on over here. Well, today I'm here to talk about the next generation because God's been doing a move in this place, but God's also doing a move in the youth group. And God's also doing a move with the young adults. And God's also doing a move with the little kids over there. And, and God's, God's just doing great things. So today I want to talk about, um, let me get to page, we're already on page three, baby, going to lunch early. Also, uh, I write my, my notes word for word, and both Pastor Tom and Pastor Matt were like, that's a lot of notes. Just how I do it, whatever. Um, okay, many ways to cook an egg, if that's a saying. Proverbs 22.6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. You know, I went to college. I'm in youth ministry right now, but I went to college for kids ministry, and that was every class. We started off every class. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. And it got ingrained in us because we know, and you guys all know, that if you start kids off when they're young with the foundation of Christ, and we get God at the, at the inner beings, the very lowest parts of who they are, and everything else gets built up on that, then the rest of their lives, they think different, they see different, they talk different, they walk different. Everything, when they figure out and they problem solve, it's all different. And sometimes we don't get them till they're young adults. Sometimes we don't get them till they're 45, or we don't get them till they're 15, or we don't get them till they're eight. But as soon as we get them, from that moment on, God comes in, and what's the Bible say? Uh, all who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So what God does is whatever age we get them at, whatever age you guys come to God at, I come to God at, God takes us at that point, and he sees our heart, he sees our foundation, and he goes, hmm, let's get rid of that and build something new. And when that happens, if you get them as an eight-year-old, you know, or as, as a little kid, then by the time they're eight years old and, you know, they're in bed and then it's dark and they see a monster in their closet and that's literally the hardest thing they had to deal with up to that point in their life. And they're scared they can have the confidence to go back to the memory and their foundation and go, no, no. Greater is he who is within me than he who is within the world. Demon, get out of this house. And then what happens is they get excited and they're able to conquer their fears and have victory. Then they say, mom, come in here, turn the lights on. And they pretend that they weren't scared. But that happens as a kid. And if we can get God's word into them 
forming them at a young age than when they're 15, 16, and they're going through all the teenage stuff that you guys tried to forget. Uh, you only think, if you think about high school, most of you guys only remember the highlights, which are like five little parts. You went to high school every day of your life for four years. <laughs> there were lots of parts that you're trying to repress. You're like, oh, the anxiety, the pressure, the peer pressure, the hormones. I don't even remember what hormones feel like anymore. And, but they're dealing with it. And when they deal with the hardest temptations that they've ever faced up to that point, they could go back to their foundation and say, no, I'm going to rely on God. And then when they're an adult, at, at every stage in their life, if you get God deep into someone, it just, it just changes them. And uh, so we got to figure out how can we train a child in the way they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. Uh, you know, when, whenever you're making a sermon, you're supposed to come up with a hook. And for this, I tried to put it in the... It, this part was actually sort of hard because you, you got to figure out how everyone wants... Why, why, why do they want to listen? You know, what's in it for me? Why does this matter to me? Um, if I was talking about how to be the best mechanic ever, uh, you guys would be like, hmm, I'm not a mechanic. Sweet, very intellectual. You know, like, what's in it for you for training up a child? Because obviously that's my job. That's my lifestyle. You know, the people that work in kids' ministry, youth ministry, that's what they do. What about for you? What's, what's the hook? And I couldn't really figure one out because for me, I just believe it's like super important. That's the hook. It is super important. It's like trying to say, why do you breathe? I don't know. Try not doing it. You know, you'll die, you know, without air. Why do you focus on reaching the next generation? I don't know. Try not doing it. The next generation will die without God. And we see it over and over in Scripture where in one chapter it would say all the miracles of God, all the great things that God did. The very next chapter it'll say, and then came up a generation who knew neither the Lord nor what God has done for Israel. And sometimes, because we read it chapter by chapter, We've read it for the last five minutes, and we're like, in five minutes you gave up? It's just in one generation. And I think the one that stood out to me the most was Joshua and Moses. Uh, if you guys remember Moses, you know, Ten Commandments, Ten Plagues, walked across the, you know, part of the Red Sea. They walked on dry ground. Lots of power, lots of miracles. It was great. Well, Moses was reaching toward God, and Moses was holding on to God, and the whole time he followed God, he had another arm out saying, Israelites, follow me, and he was going forward. Well, when he died, the next guy to take over was Joshua, okay? Joshua was with Moses through almost everything, most all the miracles, most all the everything. And Joshua, when he took over, right from the ground running, he started pursuing God. They entered the promised land. They walked around the walls of Jericho, you remember? And the walls came tumbling down. And then there was miracles, there was power. And as he walked forward, what did he say? He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he was focused on two parts. He was focused on moving toward God with all of his might, pursuing miracles, pers you know, going against challenges. It was not easy going into the promised land. He focused on God with all of his might, but he still had an arm back saying, come on, kids, you're going with me. But then Judges 2.10 shows what happens next. In Judges chapter 2, it explains that Joshua followed God to the end, and all the people that were alive with Joshua followed God to the end. The elders, his friends, you know, his immediate people that were alive, they followed God to the end. But then it says, and then a generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what God had done 
in Israel. And it just boggled my mind. That next generation, the near, near ancestors of Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho, you know, their grandpa knew Moses. If your grandpappy knew Moses, you know every single family party, instead of a fish story, it'd be, yeah, me and Moses, me and my boy Moses one day. You know he'd be talking about it. Something happened where Moses was pursuing God and saying, Israelites, come on. Joshua was pursuing God saying, family, come on. And the people that were alive after Joshua had gone, they said, you know what? We're going to continue in Joshua's footsteps and follow forward until they passed, they failed to reach back. And what we oftentimes think is they're going to be okay. Their granddaddy was Moses. Of course they're going to be okay. We just assume it's going to work out for the best. And if this was one instance in Scripture, it'd be a warning. But it's not. We see it over and over and over in Scripture. And it's like God's giving us a warning that if we're not intentional about individually and as family units and as a church and as a community, if we're not intentional about reaching the next generation, we can actually have a chance of losing them. So how do we do that? For that, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're there, say, I'm there. Hey, all right. Uh, Before we get reading, God had just brought the Israelites out of Egypt did the miracles, walked through on dry ground, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says this, starting at verse 6. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. And then jump to verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord God has commanded you, tell him, everyone say tell him. Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you. Lord, as you have uh, got this stuck on my heart for a little while, um, God, I pray that you would, that you would get, just speak to us. Get us stuck on someone else's heart as well. We love and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. The next generation. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Tom preached a message on Isaiah. And if you remember, Isaiah the prophet, Superman of God, Superman, Superman of God, where he just followed God with all of his might. Well, when he first said it, he said, here I am, Lord, send me. You guys remember what he said in Isaiah chapter 8? Here I am with the children, send me. And Pastor Tom called me uh, that Saturday before he preached, all excited. He never calls me on a Saturday before he preaches. So I was like, hello, what's going on? What can I do? What do you need me to prep for tomorrow? You know, like I was, I was like, oh boy, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. I was like, I can make it happen in the morning. I won't sleep, whatever it is. And he calls me. He's like, he's like, Ben, do you know what I, what I saw in scripture? And he told me this whole thing about how, you know, Isaiah was super excited about God. If you haven't watched this message, go back and watch it. It's like three weeks ago, two weeks ago. It was awesome. Uh, he was saying, listen, Isaiah was passionate about God, but when he gathered up the troops, Who was it the ones that followed him? It was 
the next generation. And it's like God spoke to him. And as soon as he said it, he went, oh my goodness. And as soon as he said that, I went, oh my goodness. And I actually felt jealous. I was like, man, I'm the stinking next gen pastor. I'm supposed to be the one to find those things in the Bible. Whatever. The senior pastor did, which was even better, which means God is speaking to all of us saying, now's the time. Now is the time to make a focus on the kids, make a focus on the young people, to make a focus, and maybe not even kids. I think the next generation is really anyone younger than you. Like, I don't consider myself in my grandpa's generation. So when we talk about this generation, me and my grandpa aren't in the same generation. You know what I'm saying? Me and my busha, me and my mammy, me and my pappy, we're not in the same generation. I think anyone younger than you is looking for someone to look up to so that they could say, hey, I've been where you've been. Let me show you more of God. So we've been really thinking, how do we show this to people? And this scripture, I think, is so easy because a lot of times we think we got to have complex strategies. You know, we think we got to become super theologians to reach the next generation. We think we got to learn all the apologetics arguments. Uh, I remember when I was going into Bible school, I, I found out every atheistic argument, and I was like, I'm going to defend the truth. That's going to get young people saved. They don't care about that. They care if you love them and if you love God. That's what they care about. You know, it's not some complex chess game where you got to be 10 steps ahead of the young people. It's more like a game of checkers where you make a move. The kids see what you're trying to do, and they give you the, you know, they, they roll their eyes and they say, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make this a God moment. And you go, yep. And you do it anyway. That's how it works. It's simple. It's simple. So what God says to the Israelites is, hey, listen, I pulled you out of Egypt. I gave you these miracles. I showed you who I was. The next generation hasn't seen it yet. So he makes it simple. When you sit at home, talk about God. Who likes to sit at home? You all do. We, got, we all got a TV. Get out of here. You don't play video games, but you watch you know, HGTV or whatever. Uh, when you sit at home, talk about God. When you walk along the road, talk about God. When you lie down, talk about God. When you get up, talk about God. His strategy was simple. Basically, walk with them. Talk with them. Show them who God is. And we made it a rhyme. Walk with them. Talk with them. Show them who God is. Say it with me. Walk with them. Talk with them. Show them who God is. That's it. Walk with them. Talk with them. Show them who God is. And then God says, make a visual. You know, do something. Uh, paint it on your door frame. When you walk in the house, let it say, you know, God bless this home. Let it be visual when people look at you. Do something. Bind them on your uh, uh, hands or tie them on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. God's saying, put on a WWJD bracelet. Put on a hat that says, I love Jesus. Jesus is my superhero. I vote for Jesus. Whatever you put, I don't know. Put something on because it works. And I remember I was a kid. Uh, my dad had the shirt. On the front, it said, I work for Joe. On the back, it said, Hova. It was just a corny little shirt. But I was, I was, a, I was a kid. I was a preteen or something. And those little things actually impact people. When I was a kid, every time my dad would wear that shirt and he would take it to work and I would know he's going to work to witness, to soul win, to, you know, when someone says, you work for Joe, actually his boss was named Joe, so they thought he was sucking up to his boss. He'd be like, I don't work for that guy. I work for Jehovah. But every time he would, he would wear that shirt as a kid, I would say, yeah, my daddy works for God. Real men work for God. I'm going to work for God too. And those things 
start the small little things start working in people's lives. There's a generation coming up who's looking for a role model, who are watching your every move. And normally I would just talk about kids or youth, but I, I don't believe that's what the next generation is. I think it's anyone really who's younger than you. Because if you're seven years old, there's, if you look behind you, there's a seven-year-old that's looking up to you. And the moment you swear three rooms away for the first time in five months and it slips out, somehow they'll hear you and they'll go, put it in the jar. And you're like, how did you even hear that kid? You were playing video games because they're listening, okay? It doesn't matter if they're seven, if they're 17. It doesn't matter if they're 29 years old with a wife and a baby and they're trying to figure out how to be a, be a young pastor. They're still looking up to people who have gone before them saying, hey, I want to learn. Show me how to do it. How do we do that? I, uh, we, we've been teaching the kids in kids' church the last couple of weeks. We're in a series on Elijah. So that's what we're talking about today because I'm all about Elijah right now. And right now we're actually, you remember the story of Elijah and the widow's son where they were out of food, there was famine in the land, and Elijah told her, uh, hey, listen, you only have enough, you know, stuff for one little pancake. Uh, give it to me. <laughs> She's like, what in the world? Okay. And she trusted in God to give, you know, the man of God to give God her best. And so today we're, we're teaching that to the kids' church and they're making pancakes for the kids. So uh, if you want to stop by there. Yeah, I forgot eggs though. They're gonna be gross pancakes. <laughs> My bad. My bad. They're kids. They'll still be excited. But we've been teaching about Elijah and Elisha. And the other day, I <laughs> see Johnny laugh. <laughs> Whole body's jiggling. Uh, all right, we've been teaching about Elijah and Elisha. And I remember thinking when we were teaching about Elijah on the mountain. Remember that? And there was 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, this big showdown. And he prayed and he called down and fire came down from heaven. You remember that? And he stood out with so much boldness, so much faith, so much confidence to stand before all of his peers and say, I know your way of living is one way, but I serve the real God and I'm not going to change. It's one thing to teach that story to a kid, to a young person, teenager. It's another thing to get the teenagers to stand in front of their schools with enough boldness and confidence to say, I know all of you guys serve your own gods of this world, but I'm going to serve the one true God. How do we get them to stand with the boldness and confidence? There's something more than just teaching a story, but getting it in their hearts so they become the current story of that happening. And, uh, that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, that's, so we got we, we to try to do. Because most of you guys have gone there. At first I was thinking we haven't even been like... We, I, at first I was thinking most of us adults, we haven't had the Elijah experience where we've called down fire from heaven. And I doubt too many of you guys actually call down fire from heaven in a literal sense. But I think most of you guys have had those Elijah experiences where you were in your deepest valley and God pulled you up out of something and you have no idea how, where you had no food because you were out of a job and somehow God provided for you and he made a way where there seemed to be no way, where, where, where you were seeking after God and he pulled you into new places that you never thought you could have been. Some of you have stories where you were so low and depression and anxiety and the pain of this world was pushing you down and the only thing you can see was the hand of God lifting you up as he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you and that taught you to lift your arms up. There's some you that there was a time in your life where when someone said, why do you love God so much? You would say, oh, get a cup of coffee because it's testimony time. It's going to take a while. 
Some of you, that time was a while ago. Some of you, that time is right now. But you guys, I think most of you have had that time where you can say, God really did something in my life. I couldn't have got through the way I did without God. But the next generation hasn't had that. Or they're getting it for the first time just because of their age. You know, they haven't walked through as many years of trials. They haven't seen as many years of miracles, as many years of faithfulness as you have. So as they walk through those trials for the first time, and it's the first time they're getting, you know, they're a teenager and they got broken up with and their world is crashing down. And we go as adults, we go, okay, that's the usual 10th grade. You know, happened to me 14 times. You know, as we say that, It's because we've been there. The kids, it's new. Young people, it's new. And they need someone who's been there already to take them by the hand, pull them forward, and say, hey, come on, kid. Walk with me. Talk with me. Let me show you who God is. And it doesn't just stop when they're a kid. It's I still need people. I have people in my life now that when they were like, are you preaching in front of the big, big church, huh? I was like, eh, you know, I'm dying. They did the same thing. You know, I'm used to kids. I'm used to teenagers, you guys. And then finally, uh, Jeff over there was like, they're just big kids. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I'm looking at a bunch of babies right now. <laughs> just kidding. That's in the mirror, a bunch of babies. Uh, no, what they're looking at they're looking for someone to, walk, to say, hey, come on, let me show you who God is. Let me show you my testimonies. Let me show you what God did in my life. I think my favorite, let me show you what God did in my ancestors. I, uh, I have an Aunt B, and she's really old. She's actually still alive, 105 years old. Yeah. Well, it was like 20 years ago, so she was still pretty old. Uh, where, unless you're in your 80s, that's young. Come on now. That's young. Yeah, you're just getting started. In Pastor Steve's words, he's going to be, what, 145 or something? Uh, I'm a, I got ancestors at 105, so I'm going to beat Pastor Steve. Uh, what happened was she was in her house one time, and a tornado was coming. It was coming. She had no time. She lived in the south. They had a storm shelter. She had no way to get to the storm shelter in time. And she was, she was old. She, their house was small. So all she did was she walked to the bathtub, hopped in, and uh, started praying. She was like, God, I've been faithful to you my whole life. If you want to take me home, I'm ready. If not, eh, let me live, you know, that kind of thing. And the noise, the rumble, the, you know, earth was shaking. All of a sudden, it stopped. Well, she got outside, you know, once she got up and was like, I'm alive. And the story goes, from this side of the house, destruction, destruction, destruction. Where her house was, nothing. Right beyond her house, destruction, destruction, destruction. You're telling me as a seven-year-old kid that doesn't change my faith because my ancestor did something for God. And that's not the foundation. The foundation is Christ. But what's built upon the foundation are little nuggets here and there, little bricks of faith. And when you share your bricks of faith, you go, oh my goodness, so-and-so went through the same problem I'm struggling with, and it's a brick of faith. And before long, the young people have a whole house of faith that they could say, you know what? I'm going to trust in God because God's been faithful. He's been faithful in the Bible. He's been faithful in my family. He's been faithful in the ancestors. God's been faithful. Man, that's <laughs> pretty cool. I don't know. All right. You got to teach the youth to clap. This is cool. <laughs> uh, so anywho, Elijah, Elijah, I really was curious. How do you get, how did Elijah do it? Luckily, Elijah had a protege and the protege was awesome. Actually, Elijah was cool. His protege, Elisha, 
was twice as cool. The Bible says he did twice as many miracles, twice as much power, twice as much encounter, twice as much. It's like Elijah went so far and then he thrusted his protege forward. So I was, I was curious, how did he train him? Well, normally I like to read the whole passage of scripture and then pull out nuggets um, because sometimes we get busy, we don't read the Bible, and at least in a church service you get a good passage, passage of scripture. Luckily for you, it's uh, six chapters, so I'm going to paraphrase it. I hope you don't mind if you're going to miss it. I don't know. Go read it at home. 1 Kings 19 through 2 Kings 2. Uh, Elijah had just seen God do the miracle of a century. Fire came down from heaven. It was powerful. Well, right after a spiritual high came a low, and he went into a depression, and he had a pity party. And the Bible said he didn't want to eat, so God sent an angel to feed him. He saw an angel. He was like, whatever. And then he kept walking. He climbed up a mountain. He was like, God, God, I'm the only one. And he had this pity party that I think some of us tend to have, where he says, everyone in my generation, they're all crazy. The next generation, they're all crazy. No one's serving you. And he was telling God, I'm the only one in all of Israel serving you. And God let him have this little pity party and And then all of a sudden, there was a big wind. There's no God. Big earthquake. No God. This big fire. He likes fire. No God. And uh, and then he heard a gentle whisper. And let me paraphrase this whisper for you. It's in 1 Kings 19, if you want to read it word for word. But what God tells Elijah is, you're not alone. There are thousands of people who are hungry for me. You just don't see them. He said, there's 6,000 people right now who have not bowed down to Baal and kissed at their altar. There are thousands of people who are hungry for me. He goes, it's time to start reaching the next generation. Go find a guy named Elisha, anoint him. He's going to take over your ministry when you're done. And, you know, I think there's times that, I think there's times that, we look on Facebook or we look on the, the news or we you know, look at what music is coming out or what movies are coming out. We see the agendas and, and there's times that we go, ah, oh, the world's going to Hades in a handbasket. Like there, there's, no, there's no hope. And there's times that we say, God, am I the only one that loves you? We look at the kids and we go, kids these days. And that doesn't just mean you're getting old. It means, it means you're looking at them going, is there any hope? And I think what God would say to you is the same thing he would say to Elijah. There are tons, there are thousands of young people who are hungry for me. You just don't see them. Start investing in the next generation so they can love me the way you do. Mm. And uh, I, I, I chose Elijah and Elisha, or really God put it on my heart, I think, because of the way that he invested in them. Uh, you know, there's some people... Some, some people who, are, who still think the mechanic way. You're like, that's great and stuff. I'm, I'm just not a, I'm not a kid guy. I know people who, if I was sick and dying, and I was like, please, I need you to run the kids' church for me, they would go, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the, the army right now. <laughs> just so they could not help. There is some that you just know it's not you, you know? But what I think, that's how Elijah was. He was like, God, this isn't me. If you look at his life, he didn't have a posse of disciples that he continually invested in. He had people following him. He had 50 prophets that were always like nearby. Anywhere Elijah would go, the prophets would be like, oh, there he goes. He didn't invest in them. He was on a mission from God. He was a lone ranger. He did his thing. But what I think in the New Testament, we see so many examples of very relational leaders. Jesus Christ. 
had 12 disciples off the bat, and then he had 70 followers who were begging to be his disciples. He's like, nah, <laughs> you can follow me. You know, you got to work for it. And, and Jesus was super relational. John the Baptist, tons of disciples. And John the Baptist lived in the wilderness wearing camel's hair. How can you get people to follow you when you live like that? But he still did because he was relational. He was intentional about the next generation. Or you got Paul. If you guys remember who was, you know, Saul to Paul in the New Testament, anyone that would listen to Paul, he'd be like, huh, you listen to me? You're going to start a church and I'll write you letters. Like he was super intentional about discipling the next generation. Elijah, we don't see that. What we see, and I want to read how he pursued Elisha because some of you guys are still like oh, I don't know, I don't know. what am I going to do go to a high school and be like hey kid follow me like it's weird like some of you guys are trying to think how can I reach it <laughs> you know you're like how do I do that uh let's see here I think it's on this page first kings 1919 Elijah went from there and found Elisha uh son of Shaphat he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elijah, or Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Everyone say, ran after. And then they started talking to him and he explained what he was going to do. What I, what I like about this one is Elijah didn't waste any time. He was over here. He saw the path that God had for him and he was going his way. God was like, start working on the next generation. He's right there. He was like, okay. And he walks over puts his cloak on, which is a symbolic way of saying, hey, you're going to fulfill my, my ministry. You'll step into my shoes. You know, that's what we say. We say, you know, step into my shoes. They did the cloak. And he put the cloak on. You would think they would talk it out. You would think they would engage in conversation. No, he put the cloak on and then he walks away. And then Elisha was over here. He's like, whoa, he's rethinking his life. He's excited. He's a young person. And someone that was a man of God invested in him. And he's like, oh, and he starts thinking about it. What am I going to do? Should I throw a party with my family? I got to say bye to my family. What about all these oxen? Maybe I could cut up the plow and make a fire and make a feast with all the oxen. How am I going to do this? He looks over, and it's like a cartoon in my head, at least. He, like, jumps out of his shoes. He's like, where'd he go? He runs after him because Elijah's walking away. He's like, I'm on a mission from God. If you want to follow, come on. And some of you guys, you are all about the next generation. You're like, you're like sign me up uh, for anything. Sign me up for, to be a small group leader. You want to be there on Wednesdays. You want to be there on Sundays. You work Wednesday nights. You're like, I'm going to take off work. I'm going to quit my job. I want to invest in them. Others, you have your own life. You have your own thing you're doing. You're focused on your family. You're focused on good things. You're working on outreach. You're working on evangelism. You're working on getting your, your work people saved. You're doing what you do. It's not that difficult, and I think that's the big lie. I think the lie is you have to become a professional at young people. You got to learn all the Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok or whatever the new things are. Two years from now, it'll be different anyway, and you're like, I, I don't know what they're all about. What do I got to wear? Skinny jeans now? Ah, they don't fit, you know? And, and we think, I got to become this professional. No. As you're walking your path, all God's calling some of you guys to do is simply to go, hey, kid, I believe in you. I'm following God. If you want to follow me, it'll be fun. Come on. Walk with me. Talk with me. Let me show you who God is. That's what it's going to be. That's what it's got to be. 
remember as a kid, and I think, I bet some of you guys could think, 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 think right now of uh, when you were a kid, maybe a teenager, high school, or kid, of one adult that just believed in you. You didn't know anything about them. You didn't know their, their life story. You didn't have to know everything about them. I'm thinking of a couple teachers right now. I'm thinking of my karate sensei. I'm thinking of a couple relatives. I'm thinking of my grandma. Uh, how much do I know about my grandma? As a kid, I was like, I don't know. She's my grandma. Like, you don't have to know all the details. You just have to know there's someone who I look up to that believes in me. That's how the next generation follows you to Christ or follows you to wherever you take them if it's not Christ. All right, let's start landing this plane. It's not a conclusion yet, but let's start landing it. Uh, the next couple chapters, we see more miracles in the life of Elijah. We see more adventures in the life of Elijah. We see more prophecies in the life of Elijah. And we even see fire from heaven two more times with Elijah. You see, sometimes, once again, we think, I'm on a path for God. God's doing great things in me. I don't have time to turn around and stop what I'm doing. Elijah never stopped what he's doing, and God doesn't call you to stop what you're doing. The moment he said, I'm going to invest in the next generation, God did miracle after miracle after miracle in Elijah. That's what we see. What we don't see, we don't see Elijah giving him a training program. We don't see Elijah giving him Bible reading plans. We don't see Elijah uh, having the little junior miracles so that his junior apprentice could call on the junior Holy Spirit. Like Pastor Rhea calls it that. The junior, she says, there ain't no junior Holy Spirit. That's true. We, he, he didn't say, hey, here's some little miracles. Let me, let me hold your hand as you learn the way. No, as he walked forward, he said, there's a big world that needs a big God because there's big problems. You just watch. I'm going to pursue God and show you what happens when you go at him with all your might. And Elisha, the whole time, was in the background watching, learning. So how did he train him? Uh, this is where it's at. They've been traveling all day. This is the last story. They've been traveling all day from town to town. And Elijah, you know, Elijah, Elisha, Elijah kept saying, hey, I'm on a mission from God. I got to go somewhere. You stay here. And they went to the next town. He followed. And Elijah said, listen, I'm on a mission from God. I'm doing my God thing. You stay here. And they went to another town. And Elijah says, hey, listen, I'm on a mission from God. Don't follow me. You stay here. I'm going to follow God. And throughout the whole day, what we see is Elisha going, God's doing something in your life. I'm in. There's no way I'm missing that. And we see it over and over until finally Elijah says, what do you want from me? And Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And here it is. It's so simple. As they were walking along and talking together. Let me say it again. As they were walking along and talking together. This is pretty much the only interaction we see in all of Scripture about how Elijah and Elisha interacted. We knew that Elisha was a servant. We knew that when he came on board, he said, uh, I'll be your servant. And we know uh, in one verse it said that he washed the hands of Elisha. That's all we know. We know that he was there to serve. He was there to learn. And for the six years they were together, all they did for the teaching is they walked together and talked together. And then it says, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And that was that. The training was over. From that day on, 
Elisha took up the mantle and did twice as much. What we see, in wrapping up, what we see, Elijah must have read Deuteronomy because he trained Elisha for those six years by simply saying, hey, walk with me, talk with me. Let me show you who God is. And what we saw was Elisha as the next generation was hungry. And what he would say is, I don't care if you don't want me to follow, I'm going to follow you because you're chasing God. And he was there to serve. There's a move of God that's happening here. Oh, if we could have the band come up. I don't know if that's a thing on Sundays. I think it is. Uh, Come on now. (laughs) Um, There's this move of God that's happening uh, at New Hope. And it's happening here. It's happening now. And I know it's real because it happened to me. And God wants to take everyone here, whether you're here, you're watching online, maybe you're in Michigan. What's up, Michigan family? Uh, God wants to take you from wherever you are, and he's standing in front of you saying, there's more. Follow me. Walk with me. Talk with me. Let me show you who I am. And the young people at this church want in. They're like Elisha saying, I'll serve. I'll do whatever. I'll be your servant. I mean, look at who's helping out in the sound booth. Who's helping out with the kids' church? Who's helping out in the cafe? Who pours your drinks? They're young people because they're saying, I want to be a part of what's going on. I'll serve. I'll be available. But teach me how to get where you are. They're saying, I see God moving in you. I want it. My call to you guys is to make sure you're farther along than they are because watch out because they'll pass you up. They are looking for people who are going to be pursuing God with their whole heart and say, God, I'm chasing after you, but young people, come on. And that's what is going on. Now with the young people, I did say it's checkers, not chess, but we are playing chess with them. We are being strategic. We just took them out on a, uh, a retreat, Jesus Jam, a few months ago, and it was powerful, and it re-centered them from this whole COVID nonsense uh, of separation from everyone. It re-centered them, and this summer, worship and Wednesday nights has been off the chart. It's just been awesome. They've been staying late. They've been seeking the presence of God. This week, we're, we're doing a, a teen talent boot camp with them where we're honing their skills so they could do ministry. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're doing this uh, old school revival thing. It's going to be in the, in the lobby, and we're just going to make it the most powerful four-night. It'll be the first week of August, four-night Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, seeking after God. We're going to believe in encounter. We're going to believe in transformation. We're going to get these young people to say, hey, there's more, and you can find it. Seek after God with your whole heart. And then next year, we're, we're already prepping and taking some of them on a mission trip. And I think what's so cool is we haven't told them all the details. We just said, hey, it's going to be a Spanish mission trip. You know, uh, we'll be in, you know, South America. We haven't given them really much any of the details. We already have kids figuring out how to save money. We already have kids planning. And we have one young person who came up to me last week and was like, hey, Pastor Ben, can I run a small group on Wednesday nights after service so we can learn Spanish. So when we pray for people, we can pray for them in their native tongue at the altars. Can I do that? And I was like, yes, the young people are hungry for God. But what they need is for you to stand in front of them and say, come on, walk with me, talk with me. Show them who God is. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, God. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so simple sometimes. You just say, walk with them, talk with them, show them who God is. God, I thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity 
to be your hands and feet to this next generation. God, I pray for everyone here that you would open their eyes to see who it is that's looking at them. God, when they go home today, when they go to work, when they go in their neighborhoods, when they look at their family, help them turn around and see who's watching them and show them how to be an example. Show them how to set the lead. Show them how to take the next generation themselves further in you. God, we pray that you would keep moving in this place. The revival that you started here a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, Lord, keep it going in people's hearts. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.